Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Stephen Kohler with Audir Labs, and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by my great friend, Amit Malik. Amit and I are dear friends uh, with one another. We played music together for many years, and I'm inspired to say he's an incredible leader. He currently is exec Executive Vice President and U.S. Head of Oncology at Novartis, and is preparing to move on to his next exciting chapter as CEO of a smaller but incredibly exciting entrepreneurial organization that Amit will tell us more about. Amit, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Stephen. Just absolutely thrilled to have you jam together with us today. Um, for the sake of our listeners, uh, would love to have you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background today. Sure. You know, um, originally from New Jersey, grew up playing a lot of music. I'm a drummer uh, by background. Went to Northwestern where I got to meet you and we got to play together a lot at Northwestern and, you know, great years in Chicago. And after Northwestern, I worked in Chicago at Abbott. Then went to business school at, at Wharton uh, in Philadelphia. Then worked at McKinsey for about close to five years. And then I've been at Novartis for just over 16 years. So quite a long time. Doing roles um, you know, at the country level, regional level, global level. I worked in Europe twice, so for a total of seven years in Switzerland and Germany, all over the US. And now I'm excited that I'm going to be taking my new opportunity as CEO of Raphael Holdings. So a biotech company that has... Um, Again, focused in oncology, where I've been focused for the last seven years, and a chance to hopefully make a real difference for uh, for patients. I love that. I mean, uh, so much to look forward to jamming on together. As you and I were talking about right before we started the recording, you know, we love to talk to leaders like yourself about uh, the concept of listening in relation to leadership. And was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you've been able to leverage listening as a leader within your particular industry in terms of oncology and the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, you know, I, I had to make a real shift as a leader because I think in so much of our life growing up, we get validated externally by getting good grades or getting a promotion. And you usually do that by contributing through knowledge or through your own ideas. And I think, you know, for me, the shift as I move to larger leadership roles, it's actually not about you being the one with the answers. It's about you soliciting all the great feedback and knowledge and insights that exist within the organization. Especially in my last few roles where I've had you know, one to 3000 people reporting to me, all of a sudden, you know, it's not about your ideas. It's you don't add value by your own ideas. Of course, you have to have a, a purpose that everyone can align around a clear vision that everyone can align around. But all the ideas come from connecting with people. You know, one, one of the things that I do, and I've been doing since I started this role almost four years ago, is I have very regular sessions with small groups of people at all levels in the organization, just to hear what's on their mind and just to hear what's working well, what's not, where can we improve, what are ideas that we could be having even more impact for patients, for our organization, for the business. And it's amazing how many good ideas that there are in the organization. One of the recent things that we did was had an idea kind of session where anyone could contribute. You know, we started with over a hundred ideas. We ultimately picked three that ended up winning. And the level of insight and ingenuity that was in those ideas, the amount of collaboration that people had from seemingly totally unrelated areas, and the kinds of things that really improved the customer experience were things that we never would have thought of if we were just sitting in headquarters on our own. But there's so much wisdom, I think, collectively. And as a leader, I think the job is actually about how do you inspire and tap into that collective wisdom. And that's what I found so powerful. It's much harder to do than to be dictatorial and to have your own ideas and for people to implement those. That's actually easy to do. But I think to get greatness, you have to really tap into the collective wisdom of the organization. And that requires a lot of listening. So inspiring to me. Thank you so much. I was struck by so many things you mentioned, including 
including, you know, the shift that you talked about, you made in your own journey of external validation, an internal purpose, and then also how you leverage that to really listen to others. You know, the next thing I wanted to kind of ask to build on that is you're making a, a significant transition now from all of your experience and, and leadership accomplishments at Novartis into your next chapter. You know, what's perhaps the biggest lesson you've learned that you're going to carry forth in your new chapter as CEO? I think it's really just being aligned on a purpose that's bigger than me. You know, I think for me as a leader, it's, it's what I've realized and what I appreciate is, is humility and, you know, not being about me or being about any kind of an egocentric approach, but really being about a purpose and creating that shared sense of purpose that's much bigger than any one individual and aligning around what we can do. And in, in this case, you know, going to a new company where we have a medicine that, that's being studied in late stage clinical trials for pancreatic cancer and for relapse refractory AML, as well as other indications, and the chance to make a difference for those patients where you know, if we can be successful, we can extend and improve the lives of cancer patients. And to me, that's something that's worth getting up for. It's worth rallying around. It's worth putting in all the extra hours and making it really around that shared sense of purpose. I think that's the most important thing that I, I hope to bring to the new organization, because it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day and mundane tasks that we have to get done. But I think keeping that higher sense of purpose to me is the most important thing. And that's where I want to start people. And I think the other thing is just making everything relatable. You know, I think long gone are the days of hierarchical management. I really believe in kind of a totally flat um, structure in which everyone's ideas are equally important. And I really encourage active dissent. Hmm. You know, I think it's important to have a diverse set of views and a diverse set of opinions. And for people, irregardless of level in the organization, to actively, you know, um, debate ideas. Because I think as long as it's not a personal attack, but it's actually an attack attack and a debate on different ideas, only through that can you get to the best ideas. And that's why diversity to me in an employee base is so critical, whereas it's easy to get people that all think alike. It's easier for you as a leader to get people that agree with you and that are yes people. I think you never get great innovative thinking that way, though. Innovation comes from you know people who think very differently, who have different perspectives, different backgrounds. And that discomfort of the debate actually, I think, is what leads to the true genius you know, kind of innovative thinking and ideas that can make a real difference. Amazing. I love, uh, you know, you, you started with talking about the importance of humility as a leader, which is far too rare in this world, and connecting that again to purpose, and then the importance of bringing diverse sets of perspectives in for, for a greater uh, perspective and outcomes. And you mentioned the word diversity, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. There's obviously been a lot of really powerful shifts lately in, in the leadership space around diversity. What's your view of how organizations can uh, continue to foster what you're talking about, whether it be the types of folks they're hiring, the types of uh, thinking they're fostering from a diversity perspective? What are some lessons that, uh, that you've come across in that regard as a leader? Yeah, I think it's you know, some very tactical things like having a diverse set of people interview, having a diverse um, set of interviewees um, for physicians, because I think it's so easy to fall in the trap of what you already know or what looks more like you're used to and then it's hard to break out of the cycle of what already is but when you see the possibilities of what can be and where the world is going and ultimately having an employee base that's representative of the customer base which ultimately is diverse and in our case patients which are totally diverse to get different ways of thinking i think you need a diverse set of views and i think you have to actively do it i don't think it happens on its own because we all have our own unconscious biases mm -hmm. and i think we tend to lean on those biases, which tend to reinforce what we've already done or what's more similar to our, our own selves. 
for our own perspectives. That's why I think making the leap to hire some diverse people and to make sure the interview panels and the people are interviewing are diverse to give everyone a fair shot and really be open. You know, I think it's so easy in, in today's world to be closed and to want to believe you're right. But I think, again, going with that sense of humility and openness and curiosity, true sense of curiosity, to want to really learn why a different view could be impactful. I think if you bring that sense of openness and curiosity, it can help to foster diversity in an organization and hopefully help to value it. Because I think diversity ultimately is always about diverse sets of views and diverse sets of thinking. And we know that our backgrounds shape us. And so if we are hiring people that all look like us and were educated like us and with similar experiences, we're going to get kind of a uniform way of thinking. That won't ultimately benefit, in in my case, the patients we serve, the customers we serve. And I don't think it ever fosters the most innovative way of thinking, but it's hard to do. And I think it requires an active way of, of trying to go about it because I don't think it'll happen on its own. The default is I think we go to our unconscious biases. It's so true. And as you, as you wisely say, I mean, it's not if we have bias, it's a question of which ones we have, which ones we're bringing to a particular perspective. I also love you talked about curiosity and, and you also talked about background. And what I'd love to kind of, you know, translate that to is as for our listeners benefit you have an incredibly in addition to your inspiring leadership career you're an incredibly talented musician drummer and you know musician performer extraordinaire i'm curious how you have brought that kind of level of curiosity and creativity from a musical perspective into your professional life and any kind of you know techniques where you use your musical um, background to serve you in a leadership setting well i love to jam you know probably in music one of the things i enjoy the most is jamming. You know, when you're jamming with people, you're creating on the spot, you're creating music and it requires really active listening and playing off of each other. And it's not about forcing your ideas. It's about playing off each other's ideas. Sometimes your idea becomes more dominant. Other times you're complimenting someone else's idea, but really that give and take exchange, I think is so true in leadership too, because there's going to be times where you're going to assert an idea, other times where you're going to be building off of other people's ideas. And it's one of the things I enjoy most at work, which is brainstorm. You know, when you're really trying to get into problem solving mode and brainstorm, it's a little bit messy. Sometimes it won't always sound pretty, but when the magic happens and you get some great thinking, it's sort of like jamming when you get to a great idea and it kind of all comes together. There's a magic there. The other thing I really like about music is performing. And I love, you know, all the work that goes into it and having to perform. And when you're there, you want to be at your absolute best together as a band. You want to perform at the highest level because in a way, you're you're in a privileged position to be able to be performing for people who want to actually listen. And I think it's the same thing as a leader. You know, when I do a town hall or other things, I really think about not so much every word I want to say, but how do I want people to feel? What do I want to convey? And really be in the moment and totally focus and bring everything I have to that moment. Because I think it's again, it's a privilege as a leader to be in that position. And you want to use that privilege for the for the greater good. And I think that sense of focus and and being in the moment and being totally present and being prepared to really deliver a great performance are things that I find are very similar to, you know, what I love about music as well. Uh, so powerful, really listening to your audience and recognizing kind of impact that you want to have for them. As you think about some of your, your uh, musical heroes, so to speak, and those that have inspired you, um, who comes to mind as people that continue to inspire you, whether it be musically or even, uh, you know, professionally? 
Yeah, I mean, Rush is definitely my favorite band, as, as you know. And, and I think what I love about them is they push the boundaries um, of music and they push themselves and they have a sense of perfection to them. You know, I think they take it very seriously what they do mm. and they've evolved over time. So if I look at, you listen to the earlier records, they sound completely different from the later records. So it's not like they stayed stagnant. They always push themselves. First, I think, just technically, you know, when they got to the album Hemispheres, which is my favorite album, it pushed them to the point almost where they could barely perform it because it was so hard for them. And then they started progressing themselves technologically. They really got into synthesizers, electronic drums, different guitar effects. They really pushed the envelope technologically. And then from a songwriting standpoint, they went from, you know, 20 minute long progressive songs to three to five minute, much more accessible songs and constantly pushing the envelope and evolving and changing and drawing from influence from others. So they'll actively talk about when they were transforming, they were listening to other bands and they were getting inspired by other ideas. I love that progression and constant movement forward of always not resting on your laurels, but constantly trying to discover a new path forward. And when you see them live, it's like they play perfectly, you know, and I think it's, they practice and they take the craft seriously. I think they know people are coming out there to see them perform and they want to be the best they can possibly be every single night. And I respect that. I think, you know, when you're in that situation, it's a sense of privilege to be able to be performing and, and they take it so seriously. And they're not one of those bands that's kind of like on stage, just getting drunk and getting wild. Like they take it seriously. They have fun doing it, but they take it seriously and they want to be the best every single night. And I respect that about them. And it's something I draw upon as I think about my own leadership too. A lot of the lessons of constantly progress, constantly forge new ways forward, um, be curious and be inspired by outside influences, but also when you're going to be there, do the best you possibly can every single time, every single day. So inspiring. I also love that you talked about... Uh how they evolved as, as an artist, right? Uh, they didn't just stay with one formula that may have worked on one album. They kept experimenting. And they also kind of linked to what you said about humility. They did not take their audience or their fans for granted. They constantly worked to be at the top of their game. That's incredible. Last couple of quick questions. When you think about all of the, the, the artists and the shows you've seen over the years, what's maybe one or two that really stand out as maybe something that uh, you'll never forget? Yeah, I mean, I'd say two of the bands that I've seen that really stand out to me live are Soundgarden and Rage Against the Machine. I'd say Tool as well, those three bands, because their level of intensity and presence, to me, the emotional connection that they can have with an audience, the level of virtuosity with their playing, and just the energy they bring, the sheer energy they bring to a live show, to me is like unparalleled. When I see them, you feel differently. When I see Rush, I, of course I feel it, but I appreciate their craft. But to me, Soundgarden, Tool, and Rage Against Machine, they make you feel in a way uplifted. I mean, the energy with which they're bringing to the show is so unbelievable that to me, it's there's nothing like great live music. And those are three brands that I just think of when I see live are every single time amazing. Oh, and, and such classic, uh, amazing artists. You know, I, I'm taking some vocal lessons right now. My vocal coach keeps reminding me that the, one of the primary missions of a musician is to make the audience feel something. And those are three great examples of me of all bands that are just, you, you can't not feel something. Um, and I think it's true as a leader too. You know, it's, that's why, you know, the question I, I, when I do a town hall or do a communication, I used to ask myself the question, what information do I want to convey? And now the biggest question I ask myself is, how do I want people to feel? Mm. And the information is kind of a supplement, but people don't remember every detail. People don't need to know every detail. You know, moving from that knowledge giver to more of a force of inspiration is all about how people feel. And 
that was a big shift too in myself, which I've been working on for over a decade, which is moving from the headspace to the heart space. Mm. And that's how you really get to true connection. You can't just operate from the head. You have to, as a leader, operate from your heart. And that means also a sense of vulnerability, you know, being comfortable putting yourself out there and like a jazz musician, you know, improvising and maybe you're going to get it wrong sometimes. But ultimately, I think if you're authentic, if you're vulnerable and if you put yourself out there, people connect to that and people feel it, even if it's not always perfect. And I think for me, that's something I draw upon too when I'm speaking to people is is trying to draw those lessons as well. So inspiring, Amit. I love that you talked about moving from the head to the heart because so many of us, I think we're uh, taught early on in our careers that it was all about staying up here. And that's an component, but it's not obviously the only component. And I, I love the fact that you've in your journey kind of found that balance for you because it's clearly sensing like you're making a huge transformation for yourself, but also the audience's uh, that you're supporting. Um, well, I think, you know, we're so rewarded in society. I mean, it starts with those kids, grades, right? Everything is measured and quantified and either good or bad. And I think that keeps reinforcing the headspace, mm. you know, and, and again, the sense of external validation. So I think it starts already as a kid, how we reward and recognize people, even in sports, what, you know, how fast did you run? How many points did you score? I mean, everything is quantified and becomes kind of mechanical. And I think it's harder to quantify feeling and inspiration and more artistic things. And I think, you know, that's why to me, the balance of the head and heart space is so critical from all the way from childhood development on, because it's so easy in society to get too head oriented and not have that balance with being in the heart. I love that. For those leaders that might be watching or listening, who might be struggling with that transition in their own journey, what advice might you have for them? You know, for me, I had to get to the point where I wasn't afraid because ultimately when I operated from the headspace and wanting to kind of know everything and be perfect with everything, it was also a fear of failure. I mean, ultimately that's what was driving me, not just the sense of inspiration or purpose, but also a fear of failure, a fear of not being great, a fear of not being recognized as someone who is smart or contributing or in a high level position. I was defining myself by those criteria, as opposed to internally of what was important to me. And for me, I had to go through a deep introspection where I, I started to realize that that fear was actually holding me back from living my true sense of purpose. And I had to articulate, and I went through a lot of iterations to articulate what my true sense of purpose was. Once I realized that actually the fear and the external validation was actually directly getting in the way of me living my purpose as I defined it for myself. I started to let go and get removed some of that fear and say, you know what, like, I'm always going to be okay. We're lucky that, you know, we're in a position where we can always get some kind of a job. You can all, you're always going to be fine and live and sustain yourself, but it's what do you, how do you want to spend your time? And I remember a coach asking me a question almost 10 years ago, which finally hit me over the last couple of years, which is switch the question from what can I do to what do I want to do? And for me, as I started to think about, you know, especially during this pandemic year, you start realizing that, you know, things are, a lot of things are outside of our control and life even, and how long we live is not fully in our control. So I started to think about how do I want to spend my time and how do I want to contribute with that time? And how do I want to grow and learn with that time as opposed to what else can I accomplish and be seen externally in the eyes of other people? And once I started asking myself that question that that leadership coach asked me, how do I want to spend my time and what do I want to do instead of what can I do and what can I achieve? That switch really reoriented things for me. And as you made that switch, I mean, what did you notice 
was the impact around you? Yeah, I felt more comfortable, more at ease, you know, even more easy to connect with people, more comfortable, even taking risks, like leaving no artist now after 16 years to join a small company, which could succeed or fail, you know, depending on the lead, the lead medicine. I feel more comfortable taking risks. I feel more comfortable just being me. I feel more comfortable not being as perfect, you know, and, and not having all the answers because I feel more comfortable in just being myself and being a contributor with whatever I have to bring and being comfortable drawing upon others for everything that I don't have. And then together we can, we can do great things together. And it's not just about me, um, but that was a maturity I had to go through as a person. And I feel just more comfortable. Mm. So inspiring. And I also appreciate your, your pointing to this concept that some of our listeners may have heard of in terms of the, the, the doing, which is what so many of us are, are focused on, you know, achieving accomplishments, achieving titles, et cetera. That part of leadership, which for many of us has become all of leadership to what is arguably as, if not far more important, which is the being. How are we embracing our values, you know, whether, whatever that might be. And it sounds that you've certainly embraced that, that part in your own journey. It's incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Well, I, I'm lucky to have worked with a lot of great people and a lot of good coaches. And luckily I've had the time to be introspective and, and had a lot of great support from a lot of people to help me on the journey, but it's powerful. And I think, you know, that's the great thing about getting older too, is that this constant growth, inner growth is what makes life interesting. You know, as we keep getting older and maturing and getting more experience, I think being able to constantly challenge ourselves and get the support from others to continue to grow and contribute is just like, it's a beautiful thing. And life always becomes fulfilling. I think when you do those two things, you continue to grow and you continue to contribute. Hmm. You know, that never ends. That never ends being inspiring and enjoyable and a great way to live. And I think that journey never ends. And for me, again, that switch of, you know, accomplishing a certain goal or a certain level or a certain amount of money to be financially stable, but more to how do I keep learning, growing and contributing in this world? And that's a never ending journey that's continuously inspiring and energizing. So inspiring. Well, last question, speaking of inspiration and creativity, uh, what's the next show or artist you hope to be able to check out as we emerge from COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I would say one thing I really miss is, is we live near New York and seeing jazz shows. And, mm. you know, I love jazz because of spontaneity. First of all, the level of musicianship is so high. The level of spontaneity is so high. And you can see a show with 200 people in New York, you know, that is like, unbelievable musicians. And I miss that. I miss, of course, all the big shows, but I miss the small shows too, of just being up close and personal and having that really shared sense of experience um, and being part of, as an audience member, that creation process where you're witnessing a, a sense of creation and innovation and spontaneity. And so that's probably the thing I miss the most. And I, I can't wait to go see again. Well, I wish that for you as quickly as possible. Amit, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's incredibly inspiring and we wish you all the best in your next chapter. And for those of you listening, please continue to check us out on audiolabs.com and social media and Amit, uh, all the best and keep jamming my friend. Great. Thank you so much, Stephen. Cheers.